Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast and Facebook Live broadcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. I'm John Manuel. I'm joined by Kyle Glazer. We have got another Baseball America playoff podcast today. And Kyle, we've got three division series down, one to go, and a thrilling uh, couple of games on Wednesday. And one series that ended a Game 5, a lot of drama in Game 5. I guess the, the one thing that links these two things, well, I guess two things link those two games that we had yesterday together, Kyle. We had the, obviously the Nationals, Cubs, and Wrigley Field. We had the Yankees beating the Indians and winning game five and coming back from 2-0 down to win that series in the American League Division Series. So we had two teams from last year's World Series, and we know one will not be back. We know the Cleveland Indians will not be defending their American League pennant, and they were certainly the favorite. The other thing that links those teams together is the losing teams yesterday, the Indians and the Cubs, last year's World Series teams, very sloppy. So I think it just tells you a little bit, Kyle, about even with the experience factor, the crucible of the Major League playoffs right now, uh, I just don't think we can understand on the outside necessarily what that pressure is like inside these division series. And now with three series, just <laughs> the, looser, the looser team seems like they're going to have a great chance to win right now. You know, we talk so much about all the team's strengths, but at the end of the day, these are all high-level teams, and it really a lot of times does come down to who makes less mistakes. I mean, we can sit and analyze as much as we want pitcher versus hitter matchups and, you know, postseason experience and manager in-game moves. At the end of the day, these are human beings. Mistakes are going to be made, and that's true in football, basketball, baseball, any sport. If you make a bad mistake at a crucial time, it's going to come back to hurt you. And we saw the Indians, who I believe were first in the majors in fielding percentage this yeah. year, 987, made uh, it was nine errors this series. When I believe that stat flashed up on the screen, that I think they had that tenth one in the ninth. Yeah, I mean and the this, one in the the last one was just uh, just bizarre. You know, throw into the infield that wasn't super accurate, but how does that get past Lindor? And and it just boggles the mind. I was I was at the end of a great at bat by Brett Gardner. So you give uh, credit to the Yankees; they won it. But the Indians had their chances to win and could not really make them, and defense was one of the issues. It was a huge issue. I mean, we saw Giovanni Urshela in Game 4 make those two crucial errors. Yeah. That, that's the Yankees' win right there. Obviously, yesterday there were other factors involved. But at the end of the day, you know, defense is, you know, you talk about the, you know, big home runs, big strikeouts, big velocity. You still have to complete the fundamentals. Yeah. If you, don't, if you can get the ball in play, you know, get on the ground, and if you don't make the play... Doesn't matter how good of a pitch you made. Doesn't matter how hard you threw it. Defense has to make a play behind you, and the Indians consistently throughout the series did not make those plays. That's one stunner. The other stunner about the Indians is that in neither of their uh, of Corey Kluber's starts that he go five innings. I know that's JJ and I have been debating that throughout the playoffs, 
But we have seen aces on top of their game. We saw Trevor Bauer on top of his game in game one in that series. We obviously saw Steven Strasburg on top of his game twice in the Nats Cup series. We'll Tanaka talk about that more. Fantastic. Absolutely. You know, Verlander pitched well in his start in the Astros Red Sox series. So that we've seen good starts. The playoffs are harder to make a good deep start. There's no question. But it's just shocking that Corey Kluber and Chris Sale both really uh, the two favorites for American League Cy Young. I think Kluber's going to win it. And they both were, frankly, bad in those two series. Especially considering, you know, Corey Kluber had been so good last postseason. It's not like this was one of those guys who had this great track record, but when it came to the postseason, I mean, this was Chris Sale's first time there. Right. Corey Kluber had the track record. He it was did automatic it last, year. last year, it felt like. And it's just a situation where, you know, we talk about the big players making big plays. He did not pitch well. And by the way, Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, the Indians' top two position players, did not play well. So it's going to be really hard to win any series, so especially one against a good team, when your top pitcher's not playing well, yeah. your top two hitters aren't hitting, and your defense is falling apart. And you think about it, with all that said, the Indians still almost won this series. Right. And going into the ninth inning, they were down a run. Mm-hmm. And uh, Now, you don't want to go into the ninth inning down a run against Chapman when Chapman's fixed. So kudos to the Yankees for fixing her old as Chapman. But uh, really just stunning to see the Indians, and not just those players you mentioned, Edwin Encarnacion, their biggest offseason uh, purchase him missing those uh, games for... acquisition. He missed a game or a game or two, and then he was terrible when he played. And he was bad last night. I mean, he just was bad. I mean, he was acquired to do one thing. I mean, like, again, I, I know I'm going back to Strat. <laughs> but if you're playing the game out, if you're simming the game, Chapman's hard to hit, but the right-handed hitting DH against the left-handed hitting power pitcher, that's power against power, you would think Encarnacion would have a shot in that matchup, and he did not. And and I do think part of that is, I mean, that looked like a fairly serious ankle injury. I find it very unlikely that he was truly 100% last night. No question, but he was in the lineup. Right, and you you have to perform, and I think that's part of it is, is, you know, it's tough. I, I think, generally speaking, yes, you're right, you expect more out of him, but for all we know, this guy was playing on one foot. I, I do think the Indians, like you said, deserve a ton of credit. You know, I was texting with two of my buddies who were Indians fans last night, and I think the thing to remember is this was a fantastic season, and it was so much fun. And, and I do agree on the one hand, no yes, question. that the baseball competitor standpoint is you want to win that World Series, but also this is entertainment. And this was a tremendous season where the Indians and their fans have so many wonderful memories, so many dominant performances, so many great things to you know be proud of. And I, and I think I would like to see... You know, Cleveland, obviously, there's disappointment. You thought this team would get back to the World Series. Right. But I think you can still appreciate the season they had and everything they did through, through April, May, so, you know, all the way down to August and you know, an incredible win streak and say, yes, we're disappointed with how this ended, but it's not a, a busted season. A busted season is what happened to the Mets, where you, where you right. go 70, win you know, 70-some-odd games and everyone falls apart. Well, this is definitely not a busted season. That said, I think we see how ephemeral sometimes these windows of contention can be. The Mets are a great example. Nice SAT word, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, you, you got the uh, 2015 Mets with this young, electric pitching staff, and you can see how quickly that can... It's hard to keep that together. The game is hard. So, you know, Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco are in their 30s. They're in their early 30s, but they're in their 30s. Uh, you know, how much longer is Andrew Miller going to be Andrew Miller? You know, he's in his early 30s. You know, um, I just saw uh, – I got a Google alert about dra- the, the draft today, and uh, McCovey Chronicles just did a, 
post uh, Grant Bisbee about uh, the Giants picking second. He was linking to my mock draft from a week and a half ago. And uh, he linked in that to the 2006, the very first mock draft that Alan Simpson did. He didn't even link it with player, with teams. This is the players in order. It was a very strangely presented mock draft <laughs> looking back at it. But Andrew Miller was in that 2006 mock draft. Tim Lincecum is not even listed in that early mock draft because I think we had him as like a second-round talent. Um, and uh, But so obviously, obviously the Giants drafted Lincecum that year. His career's already done. He's come and gone. And he had a bigger peak. And I would say he still had a better career than Andrew Miller because he won two Cy Young Awards as a starting no pitcher. But um, that just tells you that they, it's not a given that the Indians are going to be a 100-win team next year. But they, they do have a core that is built for now and for 2018 and 2019. So I agree with you in the big picture, but you don't want, if you're an Indians, if you're in the Indians front office, you don't want this year's team to be like the 2002 A's, whose record they beat right. in terms of the consecutive then, win streak, and that that's the peak of this era. You don't want the peak of the era to be uh, Rajai Davis's home run to tie game seven. You want the peak of the year to be the team that ended this drought. And they certainly thought this was the team that would end it. So um, that wound, I think, is going to be fresh for a while. There's no question. It, but, it's going to hurt. But it certainly was, well, it was not a bust. But um, I do think that um, I was very hot takey yesterday off air about Steven Strasburg. Uh, again, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, I think I'll be less hot takey um, on the Indians because I do think they, their window is still going to be open here for a while. But the bit, if you pull back bigger picture and you see how the Indians – like basically going back to that 1999 division series with the oh, Red it's Sox. It's been a brutal stretch. That's brutal. It's a brutal stretch, and it's you know I don't have any answers because that's different front offices, different players, yes. different different dynamics. What happened then has nothing to do with what happened but now. It's still a streak. but not for the fans. Right, the it's fans still, feel that pain it, to see it over and over and over, and it's definitely uh, definitely not pleasant. You know, one thing that I wanted to bring up was there were 54 outs recorded in last night's game. 28 via strikeout, so over 50%. Crazy. But what was interesting to me just watching that game is how many of them were on nasty, slower breaking balls. Not even sliders at 88, 89. Some of them were. But I felt like we saw more tr- good, true curveballs and those sliders that are more the 83 range. And, and it brought me back to some he, conversations. Even I, Chapman throwing more breaking balls, although last night he was just more pure power. But he's throwing more breaking balls. One, one of the things I remember having a discussion with, with a couple scouts this year, they talked a little bit about over the summer was with the rise in velocity, they actually are starting to emphasize bringing the curveball back more because you get much greater separation off the fastball velocity. It's more north to south pitch, so you can change eye levels better. And we started to see, I think, the curveball make a little bit of a comeback. And to me, seeing curveballs as well as those slower sliders, because, you know, obviously a, a dirty Noah Syndergaard 92 mile an hour slider is a great pitch, but, you know, sometimes it's better to go 96, 83 north to south mm-hmm. than 99 heat, 92 also heat with a little bit of a, with a little bit more movement. No question. And, and I think last night, that was just something that really jumped out to me watching the game, how many breaking balls, and they were effective. I mean, I, I, I really do think we are going to see you know, a little bit more uh, of them being thrown true breaking balls. And last night, I, I think we saw a clinic with some of them. I don't think there's any question that the American League Championship Series, the defining characteristic of that series is going to be the breaking balls. Because the, the, Astros, Astros. the Astros and Yankees, if, I'm, if memory serves, those two teams use the breaking ball more than any other teams in the major leagues this year. Verducci wrote that. Tom Verducci wrote that on Sports Illustrated in uh, August or September. 
And, you know, what's the defining characteristic of Justin Verlander? I guess there are a couple of them. One means it's just pure athleticism. Two is the high octane, hey, late in the game, here's 99. 90, right, 97. But also, he's always had, you know, he's always had that big time yacker. Yep. He's always had that uh, uh, big north to south, again, breaking ball that as his career's evolved, he's added the slider to, again, to get you off of that curveball. But he's always had that big curveball. So Dallas um, Keiko, I don't think a lot of people realize his fastball average is, I believe, 89 miles an hour. I mean, oh, I think people realize it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, yeah, that's, he's like the lowest velocity starter in the major leagues the year he won the Cy Young. Oh, the year he won the Cy Young. Yeah, yeah and, but it's, it's something where, you know, that's not, that's not a power lefty either. I, I think that we're going to be really – I kind of enjoy seeing filthy breaking balls. I mean, don't get me wrong, velocity is great. But to me, that What's a hammer, pitch. That I mean, hammer curveball, I mean, that's just, it's nasty. I mean, the hammer curveball is a swing and miss pitch. That is, a, I think, a huge reason why the strikeout rates in the major leagues are up. It's because you have to gear up. When velocity goes up and get to gear up more for the fastball, it's harder to keep your hands back and trust no your hands and wait on that breaking ball. You've always got to be... To hit 99 or 104, whatever we saw last night from Chapman, you better be geared up for 104. So even if he throws 89 in a breaking ball and rolls it up there, you're still going to be geared up for 104. You're going to be early. So, yeah, that's that's why the break – I think the extra velocity in the game makes the fastball uh, you know, a lot more effective. And But the, that, that division series, though, Kyle, I do think really was all about strikeouts. And oh, the yeah. Yankees have Aaron Judge – Strikeouts 16 times and 24 bats, more strikeouts than any player ever has had in a postseason series. I guess because Rob Deere and Dave Kingman never really played in the playoffs very often. But going forward, Yankees Astros, how do you how do you size that one up? You know, I feel like I've underrated the Astros all year long, just because I haven't been a huge fan of, of their of their starting pitching. And that's that's on me. I think I, now I feel like I kind of have to. It get, was sixteen and twenty, by the way. Sixteen, 16 and twenty. At yeah. best, that's, I mean, that's even worse than I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, I. I Sacre bleu, Santa Maria. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I think one other thing that we've seen is all the old, you know, mantras of oh, pitching wins in the postseason. Well, it's actually been the best offenses. The Astros were number one offense. The Yankees were number two offense. It's been the teams that ranked first and second in runs scored that are beating the teams that ranked first and second and third in ERA. I think the Astros have been the best offense all year long. The starting pitching, even though I, I still have my reservations about Charlie Morton and Brad Peacock, I think they've with good shown, reason. They weren't great last we, you know, season. We, we they've shown. I think you have that Verlander Keuchel one two. The bullpen's been good enough. Ken Giles has been great. Yep. Um, but starting pitching wise, even though they had to go five games, the Yankees I think are set up as well or better than, I do. I just, than the I Astros because they got Severino and Tanaka red to go for games one no and two. I, again, I feel like I have to give it to the Astros because I've been. Uh, Skeptical on them all year. At a certain point, it's got to say, give it to them. I feel like now that I said that, the Yankees will win. But um, <laughs> well, Verlander, but, Verlander to me could be the real difference. I mean, like he's that acquisition was so huge, and he's been so good for the Astros. He gave the one home run to Benintendi um, the other night, but he kept the game there against the Red Sox and allowed that relentless Astros offense to get back into it. I have a feeling the really the the story of the series is going to be that relentless Astros offense against that relentless Yankees bullpen. And I just can't bet against the Astros' offense at this point. I, I mean, just navigating the top of that lineup of Springer and Bregman and Altuve and Correa. When you've got the Red Sox constantly pitching around Altuve to get to Correa, 
I mean, come on. Yeah. And then you get later in that lineup, and you know Brian McCann lurking in that eight hole. Josh Reddick. I mean. Reddick is often in the two hole instead yes. of uh, Bregman. Uh, you've got uh, Evan Gaddis. You've got Marwin Gonzalez, who's had his great ages, year. Carlos Beltran still making the and big, big playoff hits for and the that's Astros. It. So the Astros lineup, just one to nine, is so good. The, the Yankees is as well. It's a very good lineup. Um, but I think and, we've and seen the, the Astros are a little less streaky. I think so. The, the Astros struck out fewer than any team in Major League Baseball this yeah, year. Yeah, eighteen and a half percent of the time, I believe. So, uh, you know, actually, I think that was the Indians' mark, and the Yankees totally got them out of their comfort zone and got them striking out so much. The one Yankee hitter who didn't, and we needed to single him out for praise, and you were on it, was Didi Gregorius. Only three strikeouts in the whole series, and obviously two home runs last night. That uh, and three RBIs, uh, single-handedly offensively, gave the Yankees. Uh, what they needed with Brett Gardner with the insurance runs in the ninth. He's an energizing player. I mean, I, I saw that when I went up to Yankee Stadium uh, in May and, and did a little bit of coverage there, and you could just see it, the way his team, you know, reacts to him. Obviously, you have Judge and Sanchez, the big masters, but Didi's the mix of that spark plug who can also win you a game. It's not like he's just, uh, you know, punch and Judy, you know, steal a few bases, get you excited, but he's on first guy. This is a guy who can drive the ball into the gaps, and we see sometimes those will carry over the short fences in right field. I really like the way he plays defense. I mean, the more you watch him this series, I saw fantastic hands. I saw some, you know, awkward body positions just with the nature of where he was on the diamond and how the ball came up to him, and he always made the play. That double play last night on Lindor, that 6-3 double play, that was awkward as heck for him. He had to go back toward the bag. He right. was in horrible throwing position, and he just zinged it. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's a guy that can do so many things for you that can help turn a game both little like that that, you know, I think if you... And that was the, what was well, that's what we foresaw with him when he was in the minor leagues. I mean, when he was, a, yeah, he was playing up with the Reds, we thought, okay, this is a guy who can make the throw from any position. And I remember the the real debate was, does he have enough bat to be a regular first division regular? Or is he going to be a second division regular? And you know, you don't. He is a great, I think, example, Kyle, of the difference in raw power and game power, because raw power often is measured by. Not just how it's not how often you hit him. It's how like far, how far you hit how it, far. how high and how far. And I mean, like no one. I mean, there is something breathtaking, obviously, about Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Stanton, and those guys are the guys who are more capable. You have bigger raw power. They're more capable if they get the hit ability. They're going to hit 50 home runs, maybe 60, 59, like Stanton did this year. Those guys are more capable of that. But Didi Gregorius is a great example of game power matters too. 350-foot home runs that go over, that sneak over the fence, they still count. Hey, Michael Taylor's home run into the basket in Chicago yesterday? It counts I just promise, we'll talk about that. That still gave him four runs, just as much as it would have if he'd hit one onto Waveland Avenue. So, uh, Didi seems like he has that hit ability to get to the uh, power that he does have, and he's got just enough for all to make it work. And, I mean, he is really uh, in the habit of sneaking those balls over the fence, and, and he's pretty good at it. Look, you hit the ball hard, you hit it consistently, good things are going to happen. We see balls carrying farther and farther now, and that's why for me a lot of times when people are looking in the minors and, and saying, oh, where's the power, where's the power? For me, it's much more case, okay, is this guy hitting the ball hard, and is he hitting it often? Even if it's on a line right now and it's not carrying over the fence, I think we've seen, especially this year, a lot of guys who were hitting five, six, seven home runs in home run friendly environments in the minors right. coming up and hitting 15 to 20 in the majors. I mean, how about Didi in in 2014 again like you just you just can't predict ball. <laughs> 2014, he had already exhausted his major league eligibility 
the previous year with the Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. 103 games, seven home runs there, 252 with a 120 ISO. The next year in Reno, one of the most offensive ballparks in all minor leagues, hit 310 with three home runs in 57 games. Three, excuse me, three home runs. Uh, hit nine his first year with the Yankees in uh, 2015. This guy's come into it the last two years, 20 homers last year, 25 this year, and again, the two last night off of one of, if not the best starting pitcher in baseball, and Corey Kluber. And, and that's respect. where, you know, that AAA number, obviously, three is exceptional for Reno, but to me, the 310 is more important saying, okay, this guy's consistently putting the bat on the ball, yeah. doing things, and he was, I believe he was still young for the level at the time. It was 20, 24. Still, okay, he was so, age appropriate yeah. enough. And, I mean, and this, that, is guy that, from the, this is a guy from Curacao. Right. I mean, but he's been in pro ball since 2008. Yes. Yeah. He's a great development story. And the makeup, that energy you said he brings, that's a separator when you have athleticism and that kind of talent. But, again, another great year for uh, for Curacao shortstops. I mean, Anderson Simmons, Didi Gregorius, uh, that place is a cradle. I mean, and, and Jonathan Scope's not a shortstop, but had his best year. So these are all guys. I just remember writing about these guys in 2011 when the – they were all on the World Cup team for the uh, Pan Am game for the for the uh, the Netherlands team that won uh, the World Cup that year. Beat Cuba, I think it was their sixth straight win against Cuba at the time, and uh, I believe they beat the United States in the gold medal game. Maybe they beat Canada in the gold medal game. I can't remember how that went down in Panama. I know that Canada went on to beat the U.S. the next week in uh, the Pan Am games in Mexico, but that they won that World Cup in Panama. And uh, that was the first time the, you know, the and, Netherlands, and then that set the table for their next run in the World Baseball and, Classic. And this year, I was there when they went all the way to the semis. I, I will say, I do want to point out. It seems like light years ago. In reality, it was only seven months ago. Remember when Didi Gregorius got hurt, he messed up his shoulder in the World Baseball Classic, and you'd have thought, yeah. the, if you'd have thought like the World Baseball Classic guys had taken him and tortured him and rendered him <laughs> completely incapable of playing baseball again, people were freaking out. Freaking get, out. Guess yes, he got hurt. It was unfortunate. Guess what? Didn't affect his ability to have a really nice season and carry it into the postseason. Like people no need question. to calm down a little bit with yeah, oh people with the, with the classic. Everybody pants, right, and it's just sure. to me. I just it just I just remember the screeching about oh my god he's hurt and the World Baseball Classic kill it end it right now and guess what he was all good yeah the, everyone the, chill that Netherlands team included uh, Didi Gregorius Jonathan Scope Xander Bogarts. Yep. All, all on that infield. No, no, uh, no jerks Simmons. And, well, but but all three of those guys. Yeah, Jerks and Profar, another guy who would have been, I think, in that in that uh, same mix. So yeah. uh, the Nationals and the Cubs do not have shortstops from Curacao. They have American shortstops, and they were both prominent in yesterday's game as the Nationals win that game 5 nothing. Trey Turner finally gets off the schneid, doubles the left field, scores on an air by Addison Russell for the first run of the game. Um, and Steven Strasburg made that hold up, Kyle. And yesterday... Uh, we were going off in the office here, uh, Carlos Colazzo and I, but especially me. Carlos was just following my lead. We're on Team Wuss with Steven Strasburg. And you and Teddy Cahill are both like, you know, he's extremely routine-oriented. I mean, if you're not healthy, go to the mound when you're healthy. I guess none of us knew uh, what he was taking, the IV that he was taking, the antibiotics that he was taking, but they must have been something good because good enough Steven Strasburg health-wise was fantastic Strasburg yesterday. And, for people like Tom Boswell and Barry Sperluga who've been there so long in uh, D.C., especially Boz, to say that this outing yesterday trumps what he did, I don't want to use that verb, uh, exceeds what he did in his very first game in the major leagues, which was just an incredible performance. One of my most memorable moments ever at B.A. when he uh, struck out 14 
Um, Strasburg was so good that J.J. Cooper had to come out of his office and talk about it. Kyle, that was was nuts yesterday. It was, and that was peak Strasburg. You know, it's interesting. He's a guy that because there are so many expectations on him coming out of college, it almost seemed like no matter what he did, he wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough, enough. you're right. But you look at him, and yes, there's been some injuries, but he's been a, you know, a really, really, really good, you know, he's a frontline starting I, I, right from I, I hesitate to go elite because there have been better guys but he's been consistently one of the best pitchers in major league baseball but it never seemed to be good enough and now i think both these postseason starts but especially yeah. yesterday's really cements the okay this is a guy we can lean on in the crunch time big moment to be that true ace you know it's, it's going to be funny because if the cubs come out and go wild today and win the game i think it's going to have a very different effect on the history of the game. Hmm. But if the Nationals win this one, and it's their first series whenever, I think you can look back and say, this was the turning point. When Strasburg said, give me the you-know-what ball, yeah. and went out there and just did what he does. You know, I joked, I think someone made Steven Strasburg angry, and I like to see that. They made him angry, said, screw it, I'll show them, and he did. The thing that struck me was is that, so last night, his changeup was... Oh, it was his, awesome. It was... <laughs> That was an eight. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, that, that was an that's eight. an eighty pitch. And the thing that struck me is, is that so Steven Strasburg. Now it's not. He basically an, pitched with three sevens or eights yesterday. I mean that curveball was also outstanding. Steven Strasburg's curveball at its best has again has been an eight. Steven Strasburg's fastball at its best has been an eight. How many pitchers are there who? Not that they have it. I'm not saying that they had all eight three eights at the same time. But yeah, who's 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 ever flashed three eights? Who's That's a great flashed question. three eights? Because I don't think because <laughs> the changeup has before, like when Steven Strasburg was coming up, you would get an eight on the fastball. Right. Maybe Sale, you know, at his peak. That's how Kershaw, Kershaw had some days where he was fat when he yeah. was ninety set with that slider and he'd have a little bit of pullback on the change. You could see you, there were days like that. Because there's days where sales up to 99, 98 miles an hour, so maybe he has a little tick more velocity. But Strasburg throws harder more consistently than either of those and, guys. And again But they're left handed, so it's a little different. Right, but the thing that just blew me away is his Strasburg's changeup, which is always it was a good pitch. But it's turned in, you know, he has developed it into a next level pitch. I mean, he used it right on right a couple times against Bryant. I mean, Chris Bryant just looked uh, ineffectual yesterday, uh, over four or four strikeouts. He used it right on right, and he also basically, I don't know if it was intentional when he used it in the middle because he had, he had enough drop on it that he could literally, he could go inside or arm side, glove side, and down the middle. And because it was basically dropping off to really be an unhittable pitch, mm-hmm. he could do all of that. But it was he could go in, he could go in on right-handers, he could go out to right-handers with it, and then he was going out and into lefties a lot. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was a it was a vulgar display of power. Um, and the other thing that stood out about that game, I'll give Matt Eddie the credit for this. Um, if there was any team that you would think would have like an emotional explosion after a grand slam, you would have thought it would have been the Nationals with how difficult this postseason series for them has been. And for a team that has a player like Turner to manufacture runs, I guess they did manufacture their first, but really all the runs you could really think of them scoring in this series with a two-run homer by Harper, three-run homer by Zimmerman, now the grand slam by Taylor. Uh, they're waiting for. The, I guess they had a solo homer from Rendon, so they have hit for the home run cycle. But Michael Taylor, a young player, huge moment. A home run in that uh, in that wind, uh, into the wind at, at Wrigley. And he rounded the bases. Like, if it were Javi Baez or Harper, maybe, he would have been, like, prancing around the bases, screaming, <laughs> pumping fists. He just put his head down and ran. You know, it wasn't Adam Rosales' sprint around the bases, but great moment for Michael Taylor, who uh, 
you know, one of the last guys that uh, our friend uh, Tony Arango signed as an area scout for the uh, uh, for the Nationals. He also signed Brad Peacock. Um, so he's, he has some legacy you know, guys Michael, still in this in this uh, org, in this uh, system. But Michael Taylor has been a huge part of this. But not even supposed to be the lineup and, replaced by Adam Eaton and, this offseason. And that's what I, was, I mean. Yeah. Michael Taylor this year two seventy one with an eight oh six OPS. 19 homers, 53 RBIs. He's a good defensive 23 player. doubles. And by the way, that's all, you know, in 118 games. He didn't play 50 games. I mean, if you give him those extra 50 games, he's a 25-double, 25-homer guy hitting 270 with, with 75 rips. With speed and defense. I mean, he has been, in some ways, a little bit of an X-factor for them this year. Because you mentioned Adam Eaton going down. They were without Jason Worth for a while. They were without Bryce Harper for a while. I mean, they had some other guys come up. Brian Goodwin did well in Spurs. Yep. But Michael A. Taylor has kind of been the guy to – hold it down while everyone else around him was falling falling apart. Yep. He's been consistently good and, and one of those guys, you know, you have to have depth. You can have a lineup of stars. If there's no depth behind them, you're probably not gonna win. And he's a guy that really you know had his best season. He's age twenty six. This was his prime season. Yeah. And he keeps doing it. I, I and again, this is not a to denigrate Taylor in any way. How unlikely was that Homer though? You have oh, Wade super. Davis on the mound and Taylor hits it and on a night where, I mean, a night that basically could not be in any way described as baseball it, weather. It was the, the anti-launch anti, uh, angle game. You do not want to hit the ball in the air in, a, in, a, in that weather at all. And it's just carry. But again, as you, we've oh, run the joke, the I don't ball, know that it carried, though. To me, that ball was just smoked. No, I know. But at the same time, I, I will say, uh, you know, the outfielders were backing up. Backing that's, that's Ian Happ, yeah. DJ. <laughs> you can't judge yeah. the flight of the that's ball by Hap. Ian Happ just in the game off yeah. a double switch. Because Ron Darling actually said, you know, I was watching Happ, and he didn't take a great route on that one. And But I think Ian Happ is not the best judge of that flight. I thought off the bat, oh, that ball was a missile. And I thought that actually has a chance because I didn't think he hit it high, too high, but it did have a higher trajectory than I thought, and obviously wouldn't have gotten out without the basket kind of the basket sneaking caught it well, in there. You know, but uh, but and, and, you know, it is a, against Wade Davis, who, right? Second career Grand Slam Wade Davis ever given up, and that would be that's that was surprising to me, not because because Wade Davis is awesome. Wade Davis has been an incredible reliever for multiple years, but Wade Davis also was a starter who was only in eh, for yeah. a pretty good while, so. He I was, was the classic I, I was shocked, starter. I was shocked to see that Wade Davis did not give up more grand slams yeah. as a starter. That's right. He yeah. only gave up one grand slam before last night. And he never did that in raise gear. To me, a player like Taylor works when you have a lineup that's that that has some of those super patient hitters. I mean, you just know Jason Worth. What does he average? Four and a half pitches seen per bat. How many called third strikes is he? I'm sure there's a Nationals fan somewhere who has a tally of how many called third strikes. Jason Worth has taken with runners on base and two outs. Because it seems like, I know he did it twice yesterday. It seems like he does it all the time. What a maddening player to follow in some ways. He did have one at Because he does so many, he has done so many good things in his career. Um, and he's like 39, 40 years old. So you can't put it all on him. But man, I mean, JJ, you, you saw him in the Sally League for crying out loud, didn't you? Yeah. In Macon in 1998. Pre- pre- he was pre-beard, big glasses. When he was a catcher. He was a catcher. He was, he was. And at the time, again, the thing how things have changed. And at the time, he stood out because he was this mammoth catcher. Mm-hmm. And we were at a time where it's like, no, no, no. Guys, six, that height can never catch. Yeah, six five catchers will never work. J- Joe Mauer and Matt Weider say hello. All right. Um, like I said, this was preceded them. But yes, absolutely. I, they, he is one of the last remaining, you know, 
guys I saw in the minors now that J-Roll has retired. I think now that uh, Jason Grilly's well, Jason Grilly says he does, he's not retiring yet, so I shouldn't say that. But um, I think he and Jason Grilly were the last guys. I actually looked this up. I think they're the last two guys, uh, last two guys from the 97 uh, draft, the first round anyway, the 97 draft, who are still playing. It was him and Jason Grilly because that was a draft with J.D. Drew as a second pick, but Troy Gloss, he gone. Uh, Michael Kadire. Now, there were good careers in that first round. Lance well, Berkman, it was, it was, obviously. That was 20 years ago. But that was 20 years ago, and Jason Wirtz was a 22nd overall like, pick. If this was the NFL, it would be like, I mean, I hate to say it, but guys like, they, retired, they retired 10 years ago, and we hope they're all still alive. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. I don't, You know what? Jason Standridge still pitching, if I, if I remember correctly, in, uh, in Asia. So, uh, and Troy Cameron now coaching high school baseball. We ran into yes. an NHSI or a Tournament of Stars. So um, Nats-Cubs goes to a game five. Awesome. Ma- you know, which is awesome. We got Kyle Hendricks for the Cubs, who was fantastic in game one. I'm not sure how much Max Scherzer we're going to get. But I presume we're going to get as much Max Scherzer as Max Scherzer wants. <laughs> I, I mean, am, am I crazy here? Or is Max Scherzer going to throw 100? Is there a possibility of Max Scherzer throwing 140 pitches tonight? Like it, it's gonna be like Throwback Thursday today for Max Scherzer. It's TBT. The hashtag will be in effect tonight. I predict. If he does, and the Nationals win, no one will be happier than the Dodgers. <laughs> Point well made. That that is the thing that like if you're looking at from the overarching standpoint, it's there's a there's a part of me as a as watching this who goes. <laughs> We're just getting ready to start the league championship series. Oh, I know. We still have the World Series ahead because, and it should be. Every one of these games is in many ways do or die. But the other thing I do wonder, with every team basically playing every one of these games like it is game seven of the World Series where you say... John Lester out of the bullpen yesterday for the White Cubs. If you need them, you use them. With every guy doing that, I do wonder, are we going to get to the World Series and it's going to be like... <sighs> Everyone guess. Seriously, like, I mean, because a roll is Chapman in the second inning of that. Not that you know, but and he still blew one hundred four past Edwin. He did, but you you look at that and you go, okay, but he's doing that now, and he should. But he's doing that now in the LDS. Right. What's going to happen if the Yankees keep going? in? how, how much about, is he going to have for Game Seven? How about Robertson, how much is David Robertson going to have <laughs> left? I mean. This dude, he's not going like Friday and Sunday in an SEC series going three and then three. He's grinding against these big league lineups. He's throwing nothing but cutters and curveballs, basically. I mean, hats off to that guy. He's been fantastic. But, yeah, you do wonder how long can that last. And can the but, Yankees keep doing handling their bullpen that way with Batances being shaky? But, yeah, I mean, all these teams' pitching depth is going to be tested, which, again – all this does line up for a team like the Dodgers that has incredible depth and didn't have to use a lot of them that first round. Like, right. Okay, yeah. You got you guys are scheduled starters. Didn't have to use Alex Wood. I mean, they've got the depth. They're fresh. For the most part, it was a lot of low stress. Uh, they're in really good shape. Yeah. No, they are in good shape. They are. They're really. They're really good shape. You do. Yeah. Today it is. I mean, it, not today. Sorry. Tomorrow with because game five tomorrow, right? For the Cubs. No, they lost tonight. a game. Today. They lost a day because of rain. Oh, you're right. They lost a day because of rain. So, so it's three today. days of travel in a row. Both these teams will be I mean, like, obviously, well, not, not travel. To right. Chicago to D.C., and then they'll go D.C. The winner will go D.C. to L.A. Cross country. So cross country, they'll Again, have that another game. Travel advantage, game another advantage Dodgers from that yes. standpoint. Yes. They're sitting at home, resting and recovering. But no. There will uh, be no, tra- no train ride I for am, the Nationals up to Brooklyn. I am trying to imagine, you know, Dusty coming out to Scherzer in the sixth. <laughs> being like, give me the ball. 
If I no. if, if I were Dusty today, what I would do the the, uh, the ultimate Dusty thing to do today would be for Dusty to show up with some sweatbands for for a Scherzer with Scherzer's picture on it. <laughs> I mean, didn't Dusty wasn't he the manager who had his own sweatbands yeah. with his own picture on it? I mean, like that's what I want to see. That would be another TBT for for Dusty would be show up with, with I mean, that would but, be a very Max Scherzer thing. But the, thing, the too. thing about it is this also though is this and this is healthy. But you want to talk about I mean. The Nationals are a team that has two aces, and there is usually some friendly competition in those because these are competitive right. guys. Steven Strasburg. He's thrown down the gauntlet. Sta- to Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg right now is holding the belt. Yes, he is question. holding the belt, and the best that Max Scherzer can do today is that it is a shared belt. I mean, because again, yeah, Strasburg could not. Oh, have no. Done. no, if he goes not if he, does, does, does a no now. If he goes <laughs> and does a shutout, a complete game. I mean, if, if that's goes, the way you top him. You went seven, I'm going nine. And I'm throwing 160 pitches, I'm going up. And Dusty's just sitting there on his 39th toothpick by, by saying, like, if, but if, I'm not coming to get you. And, but again, this is also, I because I really do think that Dusty Baker, I, I view Dusty Baker through the prism. He's very much like Bobby Cox in that, like, Bobby Cox won one World Series, which basically kept him David from, Johnson, too. But kept him, they kept him from David Johnson, too. There's these player, good clubhouse managers, Mm -hmm. and they get slammed almost for whatever moves they make in the postseason. And sometimes they're wrong. But Dusty is obviously, the the scarlet letter he's carried is, wears out young pitchers, which is something that really is, at this point, is anything you're citing on that is you're citing ancient history at this point. Guys who are retired, long retired now. And then... Because the, most of those Reds pitchers that he uh, managed are still pitching. Johnny Homer Bailey, Cueto, Johnny Cueto is not having you know any issues. I know Homer Bailey's had injury issues, but he had injury issues before he was managed by Dusty Baker, and he's had them since. But um, but you you look at it and you say the criticism he's had in this series more than any other. If now that Strasburg did go Game Four, but the criticism he had was his pulling Scherzer too early. Right. Which Dusty can't win. Like no, you know, you're right. Unless he wins. He can't win unless right. he wins a World Series. He, again, he will not win. No, and that, and no, that no is no like question. you know. But and again, to, to put when it, you take the ball from Russ Ortiz and then give have him keep the ball right, and handle things like ball. that exactly. Right. When that happens, um, you're gonna and then you haven't won in the 15 years since then. You're gonna. I mean, he's won, but he hasn't won a World Series. Will, you're gonna have to deal I will, with that. I will say one thing that is nice for the Nats, and they're in better position for this than they were last year. The acquisition of Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle has been money. Oh, Mike Rizzo. Absolute money. I mean, that was a great, uh, it was a tremendous. And look, Sheldon Noyce is doing fantastic things in the A system. Jesus Lozardo has shown plenty of promise. Oh, they gave up prospects, but, no question. But for what Ryan Madsen and Sean Little have done to stabilize this bullpen, yeah. I mean, yeah, last night, absolutely during, worth it. I mean, no I, question. I mentioned this yesterday on the podcast with JJ. I thought I think a lot of the broadcasters have been fantastic in this series. John Smoltz is. John Smoltz is in a league of his own for me. But uh, Ernie Johnson and Ron Darling, they're a nice team. I think Ernie Johnson gets better and better getting back to baseball. I mean, I still think he's better as an NBA studio host, but he gets better and better. But when he said the trade that the Nationals pulled off of Blake Trinan for Ryan Madsen, and <laughs> it's like, hello. I mean, I, maybe, he, maybe he thought to himself, you know, I can pro- I can pronounce Jesus Lazardo, but I don't know how to say this guy's name. The Sheldon, <laughs> like, uh, falls of noose, like to use a Raleigh uh, triangleism. Uh, yeah, Sheldon Noisy, I believe is how it's pronounced. I mean, yes. that, that that name's harder to pronounce. Maybe he, wanted, he didn't want to make a, a Big Bang Theory uh, reference with his name being Sheldon. Um, you could make a, a When Harry Met Sally reference. I don't know if you guys remember yes. Billy Crystal talking about 
uh, give it to me, Sheldon. You know, like that. That's a great. That's a great joke. Um, maybe that's why I didn't go there. Maybe I shouldn't have gone there. But uh, th- that was not what the trade turn. was. It took a very weird turn. That's okay. But that's not what the trade was. The trade was not for Blake Trinan. Right. That was just like one piece that he knew how to pronounce. So and again, the pretty pre- great trade. But it totally changed their their outlook as a team. Absolutely. Just like the Justin Verlander trade changed. I mean, the Astros were very much contenders. But they look an awfully lot different with Justin because Verlander in the front Because they have Justin Verlander right now, and Justin Verlander is pitching like 27-year-old Justin Verlander, too. Which That boy good. We, we've, we've had some Back to the Future, CeCe. CeCe. <laughs> CeCe, it's, CeCe is going to be one of those guys, and again, I, I kind of have this hope, and I don't think it'll happen, that CeCe ends up having a Bartolo Colon-esque finish to his career where we're five years from now we're still going, hey, CeCe's still out there. I don't think it's going to happen. His knees are not going to allow it. But When he signed that contract, I don't know if you guys remember, like Bill Simmons writing an article at ESPN saying, like, I'm so happy he signed this eight-year deal with the Yankees. I can't wait till year eight of that when he's 350 pounds and sweating like crazy and gotten through it. It's like Shaq and Shaq on two of those. And yet, still, I mean, like, CeCe Sabathia... It's going to be a very interesting Hall of Fame test when his career is all said and done. And because in the 21st century, he's in, in this context of what starting pitchers are asked to do and how hard their job is today, in my mind, he's an easy Hall of Famer. And this year was the thing that kind of cemented it. And the thing about it is, is let's see, because we know, I mean, the reality of this is that we had a debate going on with Jack Morris for a decade that right. really, in many ways, not entirely, and I'm not diminishing his career, but you take away the 91 World Series, yeah, no, and and Jack Morris is not, the discussion would have been a much shorter discussion. Correct. It's just the reality of it is, CC right now, we've seen, we've seen regular season heroics, we've seen even some playoff heroics, but if this Yankees team goes to the World Series... It really could be a, a kind of a difference maker a, for his fantasy. A, a, a second ring. I mean, he did pitch in that 2019 mm-hmm. that oh, won yeah. the World he Series. Did, he and helped was, carry it. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a huge part of it. I, he's, you know, uh, someone had out yesterday that I believe the only two strikeouts with more, I, on, the only two pitchers with more career strikeouts than CC Sabathia, not in the Hall of Fame, oh. are Roger Clemens right. and Kurt Schilling. Right. I mean, this guy, you know, there's definitely going to be a case to be made. I see it. It's kind of interesting. You know, him and Roy Halladay. Are both going to be very interesting, especially you compare him to a guy like Kevin Brown, who was at his peak. As it's actually amazing to look at his peak was Sandy Koufax esque in some ways. That had a five year stretch. It was a very right, short. It, it was a five year stretch. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't ten. And I'm actually I, a guy I, in this office. I feel like I'm the Kevin Brown Hall of Fame advocate. Uh-huh. I, he's a very borderline case. Cece's case is a lot better. And I agree. I agree, and I agree with that. Yeah, I do agree with the that. longevity. Hall of Fame. Part of it is longevity does play a part, and CC, he's the active leader in home in uh, innings pitched and strikeouts, and he's been incredibly durable for, for his and career. And he's done it. I mean, his rookie year was two thousand one. We're now in year sixteen. This right. is a guy who. Unfortunately, he, I didn't see CC pitch. Uh, year seventeen. I saw him in, uh, in Burlington, I think, and I think I saw him in Kinston, and I also saw him, and I'll never forget. I saw him uh, with these fires. I was thinking about it yesterday with these fires in Napa and Sonoma. That was where my wife and I honeymooned, and we were on a. At RDU, in line for the flights, and CeCe Sabathia and his aunt, and I believe his mother, were also on the flight. There had either been a death in the family or a birth in the family, one or the other, and he was at Kinston. He was going back home. he was going back home to NorCal to visit family, and I I just remember having this fantastic conversation with him in line, and uh, I've always, he's easy to be a fan of, 
And what he did last night was pretty doggone impressive. The thing that also I loved is, is talking to scouts, you know, at least one scout who saw him in high school was like, don't forget, this guy was a legit basketball player. You look at him now. He was a legit basketball, he was a legit football, and he was a legit hitter. Uh, our scouting report in the draft that year is about this guy's got serious raw juice. And he was a legit basketball player on a team that had like, like at least significant D1 guys. I think there were a couple of NBA guys who played with I'm disappointed that our draft report is not in the database. Oh, I'm going to put it in that. there right now. Because his uh, initial report uh, from 1998 when he was the Indians' number two prospect. I put that I wonder, one in there. Yeah, that's in there and his 2000 prospect. But number seven, uh, number you know that was in the era in 2000 of there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. He was number seven on our top 100 and great pitching He's prospect. And, uh, absolutely. So uh, prediction for Nats, uh, Cubs tonight. Uh, I start with you, J.J. Cooper. Cubs. Wrong! Nats. <laughs> I, I believe that's Scher- the correct Scher- answer. Scher- Scherzer at home. Yeah. Had to go Jack Jamundo. I, I, I think that Hendricks is going to match him, which is the Hendricks playoff mojo is going to continue, which means he's going to get shelled for one inning. That's right. Because again, again, if you told me... Is he a San Diego or is he a no. California? I think he's uh, Redondo Beach. Because again, if you had told me, you know, okay, well the problem is going to be that Corey Kluber is going to get knocked out of the game early out of said you're crazy and you know, so, but I'm going counter to the logical intuition, which is Max Scherzer versus... Kyle Hendricks. It's Cap Valley. It's Cap Valley High School. That's where he went to. But this is a very. Uh, so what's your? Pick? It's really. I'm, I'm picking the Cubs actually, and hoping to Wait. reverse jinx them. Wait. I'm hoping for a reverse jinx because the, the. I just again I have a brother and a nephew, who are DC sports fans, and DC sports. I mean I'll leave this to Grant Paulson to expound upon on Twitter or whatever. But DC sports is a tortured recent history. Uh, you have the football team, which I will not, which will not be named. You have a basketball team that I don't think has played in the conference finals well, since they went to back-to-back NBA finals in 1978. And you have the Capitals, who are perennially the, no, I regular, Capitals. the, uh, the regular season heroes who Correct. cannot do anything in the playoffs. So, the, I mean, it is just setting up for Nationals heartbreak in D.C., and so I just hope it doesn't go for that. Just for my brother and nephew's sake, it's just purely personal uh, no expertise. It's a game five and anything can happen. But one so. final thing. Just want to give a Southern California education. Capistrano Valley High School. The short term for it is actually Capo Valley. Not okay, Cap Capo Valley. Valley. Capo Valley. I can't know them all. I know Sam Ohio. I mean, it's hard. I've, never, Ohio, yep. I've been out there twice. So. It's all right. that's, why, that's, why, that's why I'm here. I'm here to educate. I appreciate the education. I'm glad JJ popped in. Uh, really enjoyed talking about it with you, Kyle. And I'm John Manuel. Thank our listeners for listening today. Our podcasts and Facebook Lives are all sponsored by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at Baseballism.com. Enter the offer code BASHIP and receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. We'll be back tomorrow with another Baseball America Playoff podcast. Until then, so long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.